Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Denver Broncos podcast. This is the inaugural episode. I am your host, Troy Rink. So let's get started, shall we? What is the topic? Of course it's quarterbacks. It has dominated the conversation around this team since the Broncos won Super Bowl 50. Since that time, it's been a bit of a dumpster fire, as you all know. They've lost, had four consecutive losing seasons. That's the first time that's happened since 1963-72, to the drought years. They also haven't been to the playoffs in five years. That is tied for the third longest active drought in the NFL. Hard to believe because the Denver Broncos, they are one of the most successful franchises in NFL history from the late 70s until these recent five years. You're talking along with the Steelers, 49ers, Cowboys. I mean, that's who the Broncos have been. It has been a jarring change for Broncos fans watching their team with their nose pressed up against the window glass pane for the playoffs. Just uncomfortable. You look at the reasons why, it starts at quarterback. And that's where we are now. Where do the Broncos stand? Drew Locke would enter technically his second full season as a starter if they stick with him. Locke has shown promise, but he never really matched that 4-1 start from his rookie year last year. He went 4-9 a year ago. He dealt with a shoulder injury. So that's left them with a wandering eye. And trust me, new GM George Payton, he's doing his legwork. There's a reason he's out there seeing Justin Fields, out there seeing Trey Lance, out there seeing Zach Wilson. You have limited resources this time of year and time based on the way this whole COVID-19 is gone. You can't be everywhere because there's no combine. So the fact that George Payton has been at these quarterback workouts, yes, you can read into that. It does mean something. But does it mean they have fallen in love with a quarterback to take them in the first round? Either if one falls to them at nine or if one is available and they trade up, maybe even as high as four with the Falcons. What would the advantage of that be? Well, it's pretty clear. George Payton has a plan that he wants to get this team back. Winning culture, kind of established, not try to fix it with new shutters on a house that's falling apart or a new front door. Get the foundation right. You saw that this offseason by signing Justin Simmons to a record contract keeping Shelby Harris in tow. They bring back Von Miller. They bring back Kareem Jackson. They sign Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby. This team has a chance to be competitive, should have a chance to have a winning record this season, and be able to identify who are the core players going forward. Cortland Sutton, Bradley Chubb, Justin Simmons. Those are the kind of Garrett Bowles, the guys you talk about, Dalton Reisner. But again, it's not going to matter and be as significant if they don't solve the quarterback position. The idea would be, in terms of taking one in the draft, you would never be back at 10 and have a pick in the top five in the next, what, 10, 15 years because you think you're going to be a winning team, and that's who the Broncos have always been, or at least it felt like that. So they are at nine. That's where you have to argue. Are you better off trying to get a quarterback in the draft this year, even if that quarterback doesn't start right away because of the idea the draft is not great next year for quarterbacks, not nearly as strong when you look at the position across the board. And also, if you have a guy redshirt or only play a few and Vic Fangio doesn't survive, maybe that quarterback then you kind of start him over with a new coaching staff. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you could consider taking a quarterback at nine. Part of that reason is 
Drew Locke, the incumbent, just hasn't played well enough to be the guy. Again, the Broncos have had a wandering eye for a reason. Locke, while I love his competitiveness, his work ethic, and trust me when I tell you, work ethic has never been a problem for Drew Locke. It wasn't last year when he was home working on the whiteboard with a trainer and doing all his stuff and gathering guys for workouts. It's certainly not this offseason where he's worked with Peyton Manning on film work and trying to get some of his mechanical stuff figured out. The issue with Locke is making better decisions in real time. Playing quarterback for me is about the software as much as the hardware in the NFL. You have to be able to compute what you see in almost nanoseconds with these defenses. They make looking across the middle of the field very difficult. And that's what Locke has struggled with, making too many chances with the ball into tight coverage, into guys that are being double covered. We saw a better lock the last three or four games. We saw improvement, certainly at Carolina. But again, you have to look at the full picture. He led the league in interceptions. He had the worst completion percentage at 57, a significant drop from the year before. Really, the only starting quarterback who was worse than Locke last year was Carson Wentz. What happened to him? He was traded. The Eagles ate, you know, they're going to take almost in excess of a $30 million cap hit to get rid of him. So when we say that they might need to move on from Drew Locke, it's not personal. Drew has done everything to gravitate his teammates toward him. He's a good leader. He wants to be great, but the NFL is about doing it. It's not about talking about it. And that's where Drew's left to right now, that intersection. Can he, if given the chance, win the job back and show he's a functional NFL quarterback? Because if he's in the top 15, top 16, The Broncos should have a winning record with the defensive parts they have right now. But if he plays like he did last year where he had turnovers in 11 straight games, they're not good enough to overcome that. The last Bronco team that had a winning record that overcame that kind of quarterback play was the 2006 team with Aqib Tlaib. Tlaib told me when I asked him, what's wrong with the Broncos a few months ago? He's like, Troy, they don't have the sheriff. They don't have a quarterback. And that year, they almost got to the playoffs But we came up short. This is a team that led defensively in three and outs produced and still only finished with a 9-7 and record because their offense just was not able to carry the water, at least not complement the defense so the defense could play with a lead, create turnovers, create takeaways, create sacks. So where does it stand? We talked about the draft. When you look at veterans available, Teddy Bridgewater's name has come up for obvious reasons. George Payton was at Minnesota as the assistant GM when they drafted Teddy Bridgewater. Everyone loves Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Two Gloves. He is a great character guy. He is a guy that's going to be a leader. And when you look at why you would get him, he's essentially a game manager who makes good decisions. But last year, he wasn't so great as a starter. He got a little exposed in Carolina. Now, did he miss Christian McCaffrey? Of course. Who wouldn't? But he didn't look like the guy he was with the New Orleans Saints that had a 5-0 record. That was a better team around him. This Broncos team, they have some seriously talented offensive parts, and it will be even better with the return of a healthy Cortland Sutton. And he's ahead of the game, if you're you're asking, in terms of his recovery from ACL surgery. So I don't see any reason why he won't start the season on time and be wildly productive. But in the case of Teddy Bridgewater, there's no way the Broncos are going to trade for him and pay $17 million. That makes no sense. So can they wait it out and see if Carolina releases him, pays $10 million, and then the Broncos get him for two, four, five million, whatever that number is, then he could come in and if he's your backup, you feel comfortable with it. And he also could push Drew Locke. 
The other options are Alex Smith is still out there as a free agent. He wants to start, but he could be a guy that you could say, hey, he could push Drew Locke. I think he's more of a backup at this point in his career, but certainly as a mentor, you can't do any better when you look at the work he did with Patrick Mahomes in Mahomes' rookie year when he barely played, actually started just the one game against the Broncos in the season finale. So he's available. Nick Foles, again, he is a backup at this point. I love everything about Nick Foles, the person, but there's times I watch him play and think he retired after the Super Bowl win with the Eagles and just didn't tell anybody. He does not look like a starting quarterback. He would be in that mentor role. So then you move on to someone like Gardner Minshew. And I've had people tell me, the league's figured Minshew out. Like, it's a novelty act. Well, Locke really hasn't figured the league out to begin with. Minshew's got 37 touchdowns and 11 picks. Locke's at 23 and 18. So the idea that Minshew couldn't at least push Locke for the job, I don't believe that. Now, I'm not saying Minshew's a long-term answer, but could he at least provide a safety net for Locke when he struggles so you could go to the bullpen and win a game? The Broncos did not have that option a year ago. There were multiple games, if we're being honest, that Drew Locke should have been benched. And he was able to fight you know, fight through it and keep his job because basically they didn't have an option they wanted to see in Brett Rippon. So that's where they stand right now. Veteran quarterbacks, they will take a look and they're kicking the tires on a Teddy Bridgewater. But I don't expect them, based on all the sources I've spoken to, for them to make a move on Bridgewater unless they feel like Carolina is going to release him because there's just not enough competition for Bridgewater on the trade market, and he's been available for a long time to try to trade for him. So, again, the other part of that equation is, as you look at a veteran, the Broncos do like Drew Locke. They haven't completely soured on him. That's why when the Detroit Lions, were they, the Broncos were kicking the tires, and they were aggressive in that, trying to get Matthew Stafford, the Lions asked about getting Drew Locke back as part of the package. The Broncos were reluctant to do that. They, you know, they wanted to give up a first and a second round pick, and the Lions wanted more. They wanted first round, second, first, a second round, lock another player, and eventually the Broncos finished essentially in what third, fourth place. When you look at the offers that the Washington Football Team made for Stafford, and that Carolina made for Stafford, and certainly the Rams, who eventually acquired Stafford, but. It shows you with Locke, he does still have some value in the league. I, in talking to multiple people in the industry the past couple of weeks, there have been teams that have asked about trading for Locke and not just the Lions. There's been at least one other team, I'm told, that had interest in trading for Drew Locke. So he has some value, but he has to improve. That's all. He, they cannot win the Broncos and return to the playoffs if the quarterback play doesn't improve significantly. Drew Locke understands that. When I've talked to his linemen, I've talked to players on the team this offseason, they all say he's getting to work, that he understands what it's at stake. And that's where it stands for him personally. So there's two places they can go with this. Sign the veteran for competition. The highlight guy of that would probably be Teddy Bridgewater when you look what's remaining. Personally, I'd rather have Gardner Minshew than Bridgewater because at least there might be an upside. I don't know that there's an upside to Teddy other than game manager. And when you look at the draft, If San Francisco holds serve and goes with Mac Jones, and that's what most in the industry have told me. Now, again, this is the lying season. So the idea that it's 100% certain they're going with Mac Jones, I don't think anyone knows that. And San Francisco, according to the SI report that came out early this week, they will be at the second pro days for both 
Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. And I would expect the Broncos will be there as well, frankly, uh, because of the fact that they could be in position to take either one of those. But if Mac Jones goes three and quarterbacks, then could they go one, two, three, four for the first time ever in NFL history? Atlanta seems to be on the fence here. Could they take Kyle Pitts? Could they take Jamar Chase? Could they take a lineman? They could go in multiple directions. That's why that pick, the Broncos want Trey Lance or Justin Fields. They could move up to four, and I think they would get them. Again, we're working under this exercise and this premise that Mac Jones would go to the 49ers at number three overall. You know, if Justin Fields is still sitting on the board at seven, I'm making a move if I'm the Broncos. I I think he has the highest upside in this draft in terms of the quarterback position. People say he's a running quarterback. I think they're missing the point. He's a passing quarterback who can run. He's been the top quarterback in the country since he was basically 16 years old. If you go back and watch QB1 on Netflix, watch him in high school, which I did. You go back and watch his, you know, his tape at Ohio State. This guy that's won big games. He does show progressions in his reads. It's not perfect. He would need work. But he shows progressions. He shows arm talent. And he shows toughness. I mean, I like Justin Fields. If Trey Lance were there and the Broncos wanted to take him and he falls to nine, I don't have a problem with that. He's got tremendous upside as well. The issue with Lance for me is if whether you get him at nine or you go up to seven, you're looking at a guy that would clearly need a redshirt year because of the fact he's only played 17 games at North Dakota State. And you'll say, Carson Wentz made it fine from there. He did, but Carson played more games even though he was still hurt there. Lance did only played those 17 games in his freshman year. It was 28 touchdowns, no picks. It was amazing. I watched him multiple games. He has all the ability you would like. It's just you would have liked to have seen him in a senior bowl situation or play this season. He only played essentially this one exhibition game this past year because of COVID, not his fault. And he didn't play great. And that's why, again, it just looks like to me he would need a year of seasoning before he would be ready to start in the NFL. Fields, for me, I think could at least compete in camp, likely not beat out Locke, but give you the option late in the season if it's going sideways to say, okay, this is going to be our guy for the future. So that's where it stands when you look at the Broncos quarterback position. And Broncos country, they're ready for an answer. you know. And it's interesting about this. There's still a good chunk to want Drew Locke to succeed. I totally understand it. I've been around Drew Locke for two-plus years. He's an easy guy to root for. The swagger, the attitude, the confidence, I love all that. But again, in the NFL, it doesn't work unless you win. That's just the reality of the position. All the other stuff, it's cool, but at the NFL level, the only way it works is if you help your team win games. And Locke just did not do that enough last season. But he's hardly alone in Broncos quarterbacks that have had that issue. So let's gather our breath a little bit and think about this when it comes to this Broncos quarterback conversation. How in the heck did we get here that we're talking about in 2021 an answer at quarterback? Man, when when I covered Peyton Manning that last year, it was crazy because it was like I tell people it was like covering the Broncos and covering uh, the president, like a separate beat. Or I've I've said it's similar to when you cover a team and then if there's a Japanese player on it, like Ichiro, you would do a separate story on Ichiro if you're a Japanese reporter every day, and then do a story on the team. And that's what it was like covering Peyton Manning. He transcended the sport. He was bigger than the game, not in terms of his ego, just in the way he was perceived nationally. 
when he did his weekly press conferences, it was like a Super Bowl press conference. And you thought, man, as much as I love Peyton, it'll be interesting to see what it's like to cover a team without the quarterback dominating the conversation. You know, again, those were the solid days. Even a compromised Peyton Manning at the end. And TJ Ward was telling me this the other day. That's just, we needed our guy back to win the Super Bowl. With all due respect to everyone else, we needed the sheriff back, as Tlaib talked about. Manning walked into a room, and if you knew nothing about football, you would know he's somebody. He had that charisma, that electricity to him, and then it, it was over. And it should have been because dealing with plantar fasciitis, a quad injury, he he was physically done in terms of being uh, an elite player at his position. He knew it was time, and he walked out on top, and he became, before Tom Brady, the first quarterback to win a Super Bowl with two different teams, start and win it with two different teams, with the Colts and Broncos. But man, didn't we... I think everyone knew how good they had it with Peyton, but it's only been amplified since he left of how good the Broncos had it. Manning, in his time with the Broncos in the regular season, 45-12. and 12. The Broncos since then haven't had a winning record They've bear, you know, struggled to be competitive at times uh, since his absence. And again, the quarterback's position. So I want to have a little fun with this. And I know it's it, there is some pain in the fun here. But when we talked about the quarterback position earlier, where the Broncos stand, how they're going to address it. Well, it starts with, how did they get here? Do you realize they've had 10 quarterbacks since Peyton Manning retired? 10! And one of them, is a little bit unfair, but he, for statistical purposes, letter of the law, it counts. So I'm going to go from 10 up to 1, the worst to best quarterback since Peyton Manning retired. Kind of play along with me. Think in your mind. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Maybe grab a racquetball if you need to to express your frustration as we go through this list. And uh, you realize why the Broncos are looking for a quarterback. And again, Sam Darnold, you'll ask me about that. They had no interest in Sam Darnold in terms of surrendering a second-round pick. They did not view him, uh, George Payton and crew, they did not view Darnold as an upgrade over Drew Locke, and certainly not as an upgrade when you're going to have to pick up his fifth-year option. So it was, in their mind, a more expensive version of Drew Locke. So let's get that out there, and let's have some fun here. Let's go from 10-1, to 1, ranking the performances and impact of the quarterback since Peyton Manning. Only two have had winning records since Peyton Manning retired. So we'll start with 10. And it's unfair, but here we go. Philip Lindsay, Wildcat Formation, New Orleans Saints, 2021. This one's not on Lindsay. He was the Wildcat Formation guy because of the fact that the quarterback room for the Broncos got popped for violating COVID-19 mask mandates. They had their masks down while they're eating, whether they should have been suspended, whether they received proper warning. That's all fair. That is fair because those, you know, it's moving goalposts a lot with COVID-19 for any of us who've lived uh, and been outside and worked in businesses. It's not uh, a streamlined situation. But the reality is Drew Locke, Blake Bortles, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, all the quarterback room, they're out. They're out. Philip Lindsay has to start. He starts in the Wildcat. And for him, he ends up hurt. You know, running that game, I and mean, that's just kind of a horrible coincidence, but he ends up hurt, and that essentially kind of ended his Broncos career. He was playing in the Wildcat. The real quarterback that day was Kendall Hinton, the practice squad receiver. I give Kendall all the credit in the world for even taking on that challenge to go from a receiver 
to playing quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he was a kind of a middling quarterback at Wake Forest and then switched to receiver at Wake Forest, but it was ugly. He will tell you that. He struggled to do anything right offensively, and he just did the team a favor. The teammates loved him for it. They appreciated it, and you talk about being put in a horrible position. That would be Kendall Hinton versus the Saints, but for the purpose of this discussion, Philip Lindsay comes in at 10 because he's not a quarterback playing quarterback. That's not unfair uh, when you try to evaluate that way because he, it wasn't even his position. So he slash Kendall Hinton, they would be 10. Who's next? Number nine in terms of leading up to the ranking the performances of Broncos quarterbacks since Peyton Manning. Jeff Driscoll. Yes. One year season of dress, Jeff Driscoll. It was like when you talk about, you know, you have to have the clock in your head as a quarterback to know when to get rid of the ball. It was as if he was working on daylight savings time. Jeff, get rid of the ball. He played against the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. That was his one start, and it was just maddening. He wouldn't let go of the ball. He was taking sacks. He sacked uh, six times, if memory serves, multiple times. He was so bad in terms of getting rid of the ball, he got benched in his lone start as they brought in Brett Rippon for the last drive. So, and, And what was weird about it, Driscoll in relief against the Steelers when Drew Locke blew out his shoulder, he was fantastic. You could argue that was the best relief appearance statistically of a quarterback in Broncos history. He brought him almost almost all the way back against the Steelers and then had a chance at the goal line and didn't get it done. So maybe he's a reliever. He needs to be in a bullpen and then bring him out because as a starter, his one start against Tampa Bay last year, absolutely a disaster. He plays, he gets benched, so he's number nine in this list of 10 quarterbacks ranking in order since Peyton Manning. Next would be the one quarterback that's created more polarization from Broncos country than anyone probably since Peyton Manning, and that is Paxton Lynch. The Broncos traded up for Paxton Lynch in the first round. They kind of beat the Cowboys to him. John Elway saw a guy who was big, who was mobile, strong arm, just athletically gifted. He could be the future at the quarterback position. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He was going to be the guy. You know, he, he played against maybe some lesser competition at Memphis, but still had some big games in college. And he got to Denver, and he fit like a fish on a bicycle. You talk about a guy just it not working out for multiple reasons. This was Paxton Lynch. He was never comfortable under center. You could feel like Gary Kubiak, the coach, didn't want Paxton Lynch because he didn't fit the Kubiak, Mike Shanahan offense of play under center, bootleg, good decisions. I mean, Paxton Lynch in college, like some of his toughest plays were like one to two words. He was throwing to space, not reading defenses. He was in a true spread formation offense. And that's where his talent, you know, appeared to blossom in college. In the pros, he really never had that opportunity. He had the one start against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, at the end of that season, where he played well against Mahomes, that was Mahomes's rookie year, and he looked, you know, he looked acceptable. But we never really saw him realize his potential. And for me, again, I like Paxton the person. He was immature. It wasn't that he was a bad guy. He just, for me, he was like a kind of a teenager. He was just immature, not understanding that to be an NFL quarterback, you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You have to live it eat it, breathe it every minute of every day. Whether you like it or not, that's the role and what it requires to succeed in the NFL. And some days Paxton did, too many days he did not. He didn't understand the commitment required 
for that position in the professional uh, football league. And the other thing I think about Paxton, again, this is my opinion, his dream was never to be a great NFL quarterback. It was to make the NFL. So when he reached the NFL as a first rounder, he had never been in an NFL stadium, he told me, until his first preseason game with the Broncos. So in some ways, it felt like he achieved his goal. So the idea of to become a great NFL player, I don't know if that was kind of on his platform to do. And it showed, you know, it showed and the players noticed it. And that's, you can't fake it. You know, as they say, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. Well, teammates, players, no players. And with Paxton, they liked the athleticism, but they didn't see it in practice. So he could never win the job. Now, some of this on the Broncos for not developing him and giving him a clearer path to the lineup and allowing him to play in an offense that suited his skills more, of course. But again, the issue was he wasn't doing enough for them to bend for him. They weren't seeing that commitment from him. So you're not going to change. Remember, this is a team that still thought they could be in the playoffs every year. They weren't you know, tearing down to the studs and the foundation and saying, okay, we're going to lose 14 games. Let this kid figure it out. They're still trying to win games. So they don't have time to have this type of patience to just say, oh, your offense will do whatever you want. And again, not seeing the commitment they wanted from Lynch. But that pick set them back two to three years. When I talk to executives about the Broncos, you know, when you bust out at the quarterback position, it is a volatile position. They're certainly not the only ones. Most teams, for instance, for example, bust out at quarterback at one time or another in the draft. But it really hurt the Broncos because he was going to be the guy. He was going to be the guy after one year kind of take over that mantle. And so he would be not their next Peyton Manning, but... Maybe he becomes a Jake Plummer, something along those lines. And it never materialized. And it all finally hit, you know, it dissolved. On a, He started in Oakland his last year with the Broncos. He twisted his ankle. He's on the sidelines. They're telling him he's okay to go back in. And he just starts crying. I mean, he becomes emotional. That was the end, you know. And that just, at that point in the NFL You know, the idea that he just couldn't find a way to do self-reflection and self-evaluation and not understand what he was up against. It just all kind of like a house of bricks came down on him. And that was the end of Paxton Lynch uh, in Denver, essentially, is it didn't fit. It didn't work. So he is number eight on my list of quarterbacks since Peyton Manning. And honestly, because he's not... One or two, that's part of the reason and a large part of the reason we're talking about quarterback replacements today in 2021. Who's number seven? Brock Osweiler. Now, hold on a second. I'm not talking about Brock Osweiler in 2015. This Brock Osweiler ranks seventh on this list as part two of his act when he came back to the Broncos. Remember, he leaves the Broncos after Super Bowl 50, signs a $72 million deal with the Texans, cashes in, as he should, He was upset he got benched during the final game against the Chargers and never played in the playoffs. He felt he could have led them to a Super Bowl. With all due respect, I like Brock. I don't think the Broncos win a Super Bowl with Brock Osweiler. I'm not sure they make it. And it really isn't a reflection on Brock the player as much as how Peyton Manning made the team feel when he was in the lineup. T.J. Ward, Darian Stewart, Brandon Marshall, uh, C.J. Anderson. They said, C.J. Anderson told me an interesting story that When Peyton Manning returned to the huddle against the Chargers, he was like, we've got to get our blanking blank together now. You know, basically dad's back from vacation. It's time to get the house cleaned up and get after it. And that's how he made players feel. He made them accountable. 
that's not a criticism of Brock. It's just the way the players felt with Manning, felt they could win. A compromise Manning to them, 75% of Manning was better than 100% of Osweiler. So when he returns, it didn't work out in Houston for Brock. He and Bill O'Brien did not get off on the right foot. It was a disaster there. He ends up, he gets his money, but he gets traded to Cleveland in essentially like a money laundering baseball deal. And he ends up back with the Broncos. They pick him up for the veteran minimum. And he's certainly accepted in the locker room. Guys like him. But at that point, he just wasn't the same quarterback. Frankly, when he returns in 2018, he had the famous quote he told me, at least famous for him. Ball security, he told me, Troy, is job security. And he really couldn't pull that off. Like, that's just Brock. And it, it, some of it was the offense. I mean, remember, when you talk about these quarterbacks, it's a byproduct, too, of everything that was going on with the offense uh, and the changing coordinators. It's not just solely on the quarterbacks. But Brock did not play well. He did have a great game in relief of Trevor Simeon at Indianapolis. That's where Jeff Hireman, frankly, had the best play of his career. And Brock looked apart. But it just, again, they moved on. Brock, in his second time with the Broncos, ranked seventh. On my list of quarterback play, quarterbacks total since Peyton Manning's retired. Number six, Brett Rippon. One start, one win. He is one of two quarterbacks since Peyton Manning to have a winning record. 1-0. As much as people thought, you know, grip it and rip it, he's great. I mean, he did have three interceptions. He probably could have had five that game. The one thing I liked about Rippon, though, is he did let it rip. That was the best game in terms of Jerry Judy and the deep ball. Drew Locke and Jerry Judy could never get on the same page when it came to the deep ball last year, and that's going to have to happen if Locke's going to succeed and win the starting job back. But Brett Rippon, he's a smart guy. He's been on the practice squad. He knows the offense. He's a guy you want in the building. But obviously the Broncos didn't see him as a guy who could start in the league because Locke had multiple chimes. He should have been benched last year. They never went back to Rippon. So Rippon, as it sits here today, sits at 1-0 as one of only two quarterbacks to have a winning record since Peyton Manning retired. We go to number five, Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen's famous for a couple of things. A great debut against the Cleveland Browns and doing these weird hand-stretching exercises to make his fingers longer for the combine when he was coming out of Arkansas. No, I'm serious. This is a real story. You could Google it. Brandon Allen, a little undersized. Again, he's not unlike Brett Rippon. He's a smart guy, athletic guy. He comes in against the Cleveland Browns after Joe Flacco gets hurt. Uh, the previous week against the Colts, played well, terrific against the Browns. Then he goes to Minnesota, and they have an unbelievable first half. And right at the end of the first half, he throws this atrocious pick that allows the Vikings back in the game. I'm at that game against Minnesota, and I'm thinking, they're going to beat the Vikings on the road? Like, maybe this is finally they're turning the corner under Vic Fangio. Allen throws a pick. The crowd gets back into the game. The second half was a complete mess. They, they had a chance at the goal line. Allen threw to Noah Fant, I believe, three times. He should have gone to Sutton. He did not. They lose. And then they go to Buffalo, and Brandon Allen's second half at Buffalo is one of the worst quarterback halves I've ever seen in my life. The win was against him. He just, I think he was ended up at four for 22. I mean, it was so, so ugly. And he couldn't throw in the win. And he didn't look the part, frankly, at that point. He looked a part of a backup. Now, he's since played with Cincinnati, and again, he's shown some flair, but he really is that kind of like, you say, a utility player or pinch hitter in baseball. If you use him a couple of times a week, you like him, but they get exposed with regular play. Allen got exposed. He was terrible against the Bills. He gets benched for luck. He is number five on my list of quarterback play since Peyton Manning retired. Number four, this is debatable. I'm sure I'll get pushback on this. Joe Flacco. 
He was not in his prime when he got to Denver. Let's just say that, right? John Elway insisted that. We all rolled our eyes and were like, you know, Joe Flacco could be an upgrade over Case Keenum, but he's certainly not in his prime if you look at the end of his Ravens career. Anytime another team is trying to get rid of a guy so they can get better, I'm always cautious of that. And that's what they did with Lamar Jackson. Now, he ended up MVP, but when you're trying to get a guy as the other team's contending, and they're saying, we don't want this guy. And that's part of my concern with Teddy Bridgewater. Carolina's trying to take the next step, and they can't get rid of Teddy Bridgewater fast enough. That, to me, is a huge red flag. And it's kind of what they're faced with Joe Flacco. He was not in his prime. Good dude. Total pro. Uh, but he was just poorly cast as a statue behind a porous offensive line. And his career essentially came to an end in Denver the night they played on Thursday night against the Chiefs. And he faced more pressure than an air traffic controller. Just guys coming from everywhere, and he ends up sacked. I think it was eight times for him, and then the punter got sacked on one of the dumbest fake punt plays I've ever seen in my life. Let's put a guy in motion to tell everyone we're doing a fake punt. If you're going to do that, just keep your quarterback in the game. Anyway, sidetrack there. Flacco, he melted down against the Chiefs. Troy Aikman just absolutely just eviscerated him on the broadcast, saying, I don't know what Joe Flacco's doing. And then they go play at the Colts, and Flacco's had enough. At that game, they just go into the turtle-in-a-shell offensive philosophy. Everyone else in the league's electric guitars, bands, and the Broncos think they're going to win with like this acoustic folk singing from the 1800s. Uh, no, they are not. They turtle in the shell, end up losing to the Colts, one of several close games they lost that first season with Vic Fangio. And Flacco, out of the blue, after the game, I'm in the press conference, he's had enough. He criticizes the coaching staff. It was both at Rich Scangarello, the offensive coordinator, and certainly at, at Vic Fangio, who was telling them to run the football. He had no trust in Flacco at that point. Remember, Flacco, a guy who's won a Super Bowl and been one of the best road quarterbacks in the playoffs in NFL history, he didn't trust him to get like one first down passing the football. And then he hurt his neck. He got absolutely just hammered in that game from the Colts. He's out, but he had six touchdowns, six picks. He gave him some respectability. Again, that tells you what this list looks like, that he ranks fourth in the quarterbacks since Peyton Manning retired. Number three, Case Keesum? No, make it Case Keenum. Case Keesum might be 11th on this list because he doesn't exist. That's what John Elway called him in an introductory press conference. So Keenum, good guy. I like dealing with him. He had a kind of a warped sense of humor in terms of, you know, he'd give it back and forth in the locker room. I appreciated that. Made fun of the way I dressed a few times. I can certainly appreciate that. Case Keenum, though, just didn't connect to his own locker room like I thought he would. It just felt like in some ways he was a bit of an outsider. And honestly, it felt like a backup, like a guy playing the role of the star quarterback. He didn't feel like he was the guy. And I know they wanted it to work. He was coming off a huge season in Minnesota. And all credit to him. He played his butt off there. That was in relief, and I don't know if it was because the expectations were different. You're playing with house money. In Denver, I don't think Keenum ever appreciated what it means to be the quarterback of the Denver Broncos in this state with Broncos country. It's the most high-profile position in the state, with all due respect to the governor and the mayor. It is. And Keenum got off to a terrible start, multiple picks in the first game. And from that moment, he decided... I'm going to take care of the ball over taking chances. So he stopped throwing picks, but he stopped making plays. And he just did not look like a guy you could win. Now, he had one big win at the Chargers on the road, but that's after all of the season was going down the tubes. But 
Keenum could never get it right um, under Vance Joseph. He lasts one year, and the Broncos move on. They traded him. They eat a chunk of the contract. And, you know, and Keenum's back in his role. I think he's in Cleveland as a backup to Baker Mayfield. In many ways, he was Baker Mayfield at Houston in college before Mayfield at, at Oklahoma, if you look at him statistically. And honestly, if you look at him at the pros until Mayfield's last, like, six, seven games of last season, they were similar quarterbacks. But Keenum, they expected him to be the guy. And he just looked like a backup who was trying to be the guy. And, you know, that's just sometimes how it works out. So who's number two on this list? But Case Keenum is three on the 10 since Manning. Number two, Drew Locke. This explains why they're still willing to give Drew Locke a chance. They've had that wandering eye at quarterback all offseason. They've been aggressively pursuing Stafford. They, you know, again, were never giving up a second-round pick for Darnold. They would have been aggressive on Deshaun Watson had this, you know, off-field issues made him toxic where no team's going to deal with that right now until his off-field issues there's some clarity there and but that's why you know it's next on the list is maybe Teddy Bridgewater maybe not the Broncos have liked Drew Locke enough not to trade him both to the Lions and again I was told at least one other team has inquired about trading for him so he has value the issue with Drew is he's got to stop turning the ball over it's really that simple he's got a better footwork He's got to climb the pocket, stop every time he sees trouble, rolling out to his right, he gets off balance, and he throws back into the defense. That is a recipe for disaster if you aren't, you know, Brett Favre, Patrick Mahomes, those kind of guys with those kind of arms. It's just a throw that ends up uh, ending horribly for the quarterback. But, you know, and these people say, well, Josh Allen, his third year, it all happened for him. I hope it happens for Locke if he's the starter. I do. But please stop comparing him to Josh Allen. They're not the same quarterback. One guy's like 92 and has to have location if he's a pitcher and command and paint with a small brush on the outside corner. That's Locke. Josh Allen throws 100. He's Chapman coming out of the pen. He has margin for error because when he throws it, you can hear the football go by you. I was at the senior bowl. I could hear the ball go to the receiver. That's how hard he throws a football. Oh, and by the way, he's rushed for like 26 touchdowns, 1,500 yards. He is a legitimate running threat when a play breaks down. Drew Locke is not. That's not a criticism of Locke. That's just say, stop saying they're the same guy. They're not. Just because they're going to both be, Locke's going to be in year three and Allen had this huge renaissance in year three, that is a straw argument. They're not the same guy. But could Locke rebound in year three? Absolutely he could get better. With better footwork, better decision making, because he does have talent. But Locke, why do you like him? He's a leader. His teammates have liked him. They like his swag. They like his confidence. They want to see him succeed. But again, they also want to win. So it's on Drew to get better. He's got that amazing comeback versus the Chargers. He played well at the end of that Falcons game. And he played his best two games on the road in his young career. At Houston, an unbelievable performance. A playoff team he knocked down at Houston. And also at Carolina last year. Where, what, four touchdowns, per, you know, the deep ball, he was audibling, he looked in control of the offense, and for the first time last year, he trusted the dump down. He was using his tight ends and running backs. And if Drew is going to succeed, Pat Shermer, I'm telling you, you got to design that offense for him. He's got to get some layups. He can't be the guy that's just always shooting three-pointers. He's not that player yet. Maybe at some point in his career he will be. He's not right now. So you got to get him the layups. But Drew Locke, with that 4-1 and rookie season debut, those final five games, 
That is what essentially puts him way up on this list. Last year, he had a nice, strong finish. It's certainly the Carolina game, but he's got an overall losing record with the Broncos. He is second on this list. Who is first? Is that a drum? Yes, a drum beat. First on my list since quarterbacks in quarterbacks that have played and started for the Broncos since Peyton Manning retired. It was the first one who started after Manning, Trevor Simeon. Now, Simeon's not great. Listen, I, I love Trevor, everything about the guy, the work ethic, the smarts, teammates, the grinder. He went 13-11. He's the only other Broncos quarterback to have a winning record since Manning, along with Brett Rippon. He was a Pro Bowl alternate at one point. He had them in the playoffs. Benny Fowler takes tries to catch a ball with his face mask in the end zone against the Titans. He catches that ball. Broncos are going to the playoffs as man as Simeon is a starter. Maybe it looks a little different. Simeon's issues were pretty clear. He was undersized for the position. This was a guy who was going to be a third baseman in college, maybe a second baseman. He's built like an infielder, college infielder. There just wasn't a lot to him. So when he got hit, his shoulder, his left shoulder just took extreme damage. And he was tough. He played through some crazy injuries in that left side of his body and left shoulder. But it, if you can't, availability is a skill in the NFL. If you can't stay healthy, then you can't be the starter. That was part of it. And then, if you remember it, they played against the Chargers. Melvin Ingram hit him so hard. I thought, watching the game live, I was at the game, that he might have decapitated Simeon. It was scary. And Simeon ended up like kind of puffiness around his eyes and nose. After the game, he looked like a boxer who had been knocked out when he was conducting his press conference. How he did not have a concussion from that play, I have no idea. And then he just looked like it kind of, you know, that old seeing ghost, hearing footsteps. It looked like after all the hits, he just started to take its toll on him. And then he had that horrible game against the Chiefs. Four picks on the road. He ends up getting benched. You know, Simeon for me was, he started because Lynch couldn't take advantage of opportunity. Was it an ill-fitted offense for Lynch? You can argue, again, the team didn't do him any favors. But Lynch wasn't doing any favors in terms of putting himself in position to force them to create an opportunity. And Simeon started because of that. He was more ready, and the players thought they could win. Remember, they're coming off a Super Bowl. So they're not anxious to have or eager to have a rookie quarterback who looks like he's not putting the time in try to get him to the playoffs. They trusted Simeon in that regard, but he had some limitations. Arm strength was not one of them, but he was really only good kind of a one half of the field. Picks became an issue, but more than anything, he just struggled to stay healthy. He looked like and profiled as a backup quarterback, which is what he's become. But that's the list. Quarterback since Peyton Manning retired, ranking them in order here on the Believe Broncos podcast. Trevor Simeon, one. Locke, two. Case Keenum, three. Joe Flacco, four. Brandon Allen, five. Brett Rippon, one and oh, six. Brock Osweiler, seven. Paxton Lynch, eight. Jeff Driscoll, nine. And Philip Lindsay, unfairly, this should really be Kendall Hinton, but Lindsay started the game. Lindsay is 10. And that's why we are still talking about quarterbacks today. Because of the fact the Broncos have not found a solution since Peyton Manning. That's why they could still add a veteran for competition for Drew Locke. It's why they have not ruled out, even though they haven't fallen in love yet, with one of the young quarterbacks in the draft. Could they take a Justin Fields? Could they take a Trey Lance? It's certainly all on the table because of the fact they are sitting here with five straight years without making the playoffs, four straight losing seasons, and in large part is because they have not found a way to get adequate quarterback performance. Maybe this is finally the season with Locke takes off or they find a way to push him. 
But that is where they stand right now. And the Broncos, until they answer that question at quarterback to where they have a starter they trust that can take advantage of a defense, put the team in position to lead, to play even, to force teams to pass, to allow Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and Malik Reed to go to work, to allow Kyle Fuller and Darby and Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson to take turnovers, until the offense can carry its weight in leading games, the Broncos are going to be sitting here with their window pressed up against the playoff uh, window pane, and it's it's frustrating. But this is where we are. We're always talking. The Broncos might have been bad the last few years, but they are not boring. And they're not boring right now as we're less than three weeks away from the draft because the quarterback topic remains to QB or not QB. And until the Broncos answer that question, they are not returning to the playoffs anytime soon. I hope you enjoyed it. The inaugural Broncos Believe in Broncos podcast. I am your host, Troy Rink. We'll be trying to drop a couple of podcasts every week leading up to the draft. Let me know what you think. You can reach me always 24-7 at Troy Rink on Twitter, T-R-O-Y-R-E-N-C-K. You can also reach out on Facebook if that's more comfortable for you. But give it a listen, subscribe, download, do all those great things. Let me know what you think because we're going to be talking Broncos year-round And hopefully a couple times a week, I'm going to have some player guests coming up, former players, broadcast folks I know. We're going to talk it all out, hash it all out as we lead up to the draft for the Broncos. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.